Well, good morning. My name is Patrick. I'm one of the elders here at ACC, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, some of you are aware that I recently accepted a new position. I, so as of June 30th, I'm no longer a middle school principal. I'm now the instructional technology coordinator for the Winneka Public Schools, so still in administration, but at the district level. And one of the unique um, aspects of an administrator contract is a seemingly insignificant and harmless phrase in the contract under responsibilities that says, and duties as otherwise assigned. <laughs> and in my time as principal, I came to realize that that meant a whole lot of other things. Essentially, I could be asked to do pretty much any responsibility in the school. Um, so in my time as principal, I um, cleaned lunch floors and lunch tables, I cleaned bathrooms, uh, comforted vomiting students, accompanied students to the ER, um, was duct taped to a wall for a fundraiser, um, and was also covered in ice cream sundae toppings for a fundraiser. Side note, if you decide to do the covering and ice cream toppings, make sure you have good goggles and earplugs because that stuff gets in everywhere. Um, so needless to say, when I went for my master's and then accepted a position in administration, I never once thought that I would be doing any of those things, right? But they needed to be done. And I'm sure that each of you can think of some different experiences in your own careers where you've maybe been asked to do something that um, maybe wasn't a preferred task. Or maybe there was something that seemed on the job description to be kind of minor, but then once you get in the position, you realize it's much more major than I really thought. Or maybe there's some additional responsibilities that have been added as time has gone on, right? And I think um, as we look at today's uh, topic on being an ambassador for Christ, I'm sensitive to the fact that there might be some people that feel as reluctant ambassadors for Christ. That maybe there's some of us that feel ill-equipped or maybe that's an unpreferred task that's been assigned to us. And so our time this morning is going to be focused on three main takeaways. One is solidifying our, our understanding and conviction that this truly is a responsibility of all believers to be an ambassador of Christ. Uh, the second takeaway is understanding what responsibilities we have as an ambassador and what it looks like to fulfill those responsibilities. And then three, the implications for us as believers when we are obedient in this way. So our core text this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. But how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. 
We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much that he's called our hearts to him. Father, we appreciate the word um, that you've given us and the way that it corrects us, it shapes us. And Lord, the, the way that it perfects and calibrates our faith. Father, I pray that this time would be a time of learning and maturation and reflection as we continue to work to reflect the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. So our first takeaway this morning is that we are ambassadors rather, regardless of whether we want to be. You know, growing up, I idolized Jim Abbott. Um, he was a major league pitcher. Uh, he was a gold medalist, threw a no-hitter for the Yankees, um, and was also missing his right hand. So you can see um, why I chose him as role model. Um, we have the same birthday. Uh, and what was really awesome is that in my life, I actually had the opportunity to meet him twice. I met him as a small child, and then I met him again as I was going into my freshman year of high school. And each time that I spoke with him and met him, he didn't talk about playing baseball. He didn't really talk about training or practice. What he talked about was getting an education, listening to my parents, cleaning my room, and now that I think about it, how much do my parents pay him off to say all of those things? But you see, while he and I might have had a little bit more physically in common than maybe other kid-to-role-model relationships, the fact is that I chose him. He didn't have much choice in it. I was the one that decided I would look, would look up to him, that I would follow his example. So he didn't have a choice in it. The only choice that he really had in the matter was how he responded to that responsibility. And thankfully, he's one of the, the professional athletes that really embraced that role and impacted thousands of young people's lives. But again, it wasn't really his choice. It was theirs. You know, I used to have conversations with our student athletes about them being ambassadors for our school that when they would go out and um, compete, that their jerseys only said Stratford on the front. It didn't have their personal name on the back. And so for many of the people in our community, their only knowledge and awareness or belief or opinion about our school was based off of a handful of students and how they behaved in approximately the span of two hours. It's not much of a sample size, <laughs> but that's just what it is, right? Whether you, it's fair or not, that's just what it is. And so we have to embrace the fact as believers that the same is also true for us. That the people that we come in contact with, if we're open about our faith, a large percentage of them are going to make conclusions and opinions about what it means to be Christian based on their interactions with you and me. And so we have to understand and embrace the fact that every interaction is a relational transaction. It's just a matter whether it's a deposit or a withdrawal. So when you're waiting for your dry cleaning, when you're speaking with a customer service representative, when you're ordering food at a restaurant, when you're putting your kids down to sleep when they're two hours past their bedtime, it can be a test of patience. Or when you're disagreeing with your spouse, all of those 
are relational transactions, but is it a deposit or a withdrawal? So you see, the people around us can choose to view us as an ambassador or a role model for Christ, whether we want to be or not. But as we see in Scripture, the idea of being an ambassador for Christ is not just something we default to as believers because of the people around us. It's really a responsibility of all believers. And while other verses may not explicitly use the term ambassador, all of them consistently reinforce the fact that there are to be outward changes in actions by us in response to the inward change that has happened as a result of Christ in our lives. Acts 1 says, in talking with the, and this is Jesus in talking with the disciples after his resurrection, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's very clearly and very plainly, Jesus tells us that we're to share our personal Christ experiences, our testimony with people that we come in contact with. We are Christ's messengers. John 15 says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. So not only are we to be sharing our personal experiences, but people should be able to experience the love of Christ through our interactions, that we're to produce lasting fruit. And what I really hear in that as we're to be active in the action of our faith as opposed to passive. Romans 12 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Christ is to be shared and experienced and he should be observed as well. So let's think about it, though. Like, we don't come out of the womb living a holy life. If we did, there wouldn't be a need for Christ. Very simply. So shouldn't we also expect, then, that if there has been a change in our heart, if Christ has reached out to us and grabbed us, that the way that we live day to day should reflect the difference that Christ has made in our life? So it should be observable by others. And so I understand that some of us may be reluctant ambassadors. But there's no denying the fact that Christianity is a participatory faith where God places each of us in the field of play. There are no bench warmers. There are no second strings. There are no red shirts. Because frankly, the stakes are too great to limit the number of players in at once. 2 Corinthians 4 says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. That's a pretty sobering perspective. Said in a different way, if we believe that Christ is the antidote to poison and the peril of sin, then we as believers need to have a sense of urgency and importance to sharing the gospel message with those that need it. We have something that the rest of the world desperately needs. So as we identified, Christ is to be observed, experienced, and shared as we interact in our spheres of influence. 
So I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about your own faith journey. What was it like? Who played an influential role in your coming to Christ? My bet is that most of you are thinking about others that cared for you, loved you, prayed for you and with you, invested in you, guided you, taught you. Very few of us, if any, have a flash epiphany. I was unsaved for one moment, and then the next moment I'm saved. Can it happen? Of course it can happen. But it's not very common. We are the result of others pouring themselves into us and being Christ to us. Now it's our turn. So I, I want you to take a look at this image, the sphere of influence. So here you are at the center. That brown or orange circle is your inner circle of people, the people that know you best, your most intimate relationships, so your close family and friends. That green circle then is your personal community, so maybe that's your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. And then that blue circle is your wider community, just anyone that you interact with at any point. You know, I, I believe that anyone can in, actively and effectively influence each of the spheres by how Christ is observed, experienced, and shared on a daily basis. Now, obviously, a conversation with um, a waitress who you've just met is going to sound very different than a conversation with your kids um, at home. But if the idea of being an ambassador of Christ is overwhelming or uncomfortable, or maybe you're feeling ill-equipped or your schedule is restrictive, why don't you start small? Who do you already have close established relationships with and do you know where they're at spiritually? Is everyone in your household saved? You know, sometimes when we talk about evangelism or the bless approach, I think people's minds immediately go to like, oh my gosh, I have to go find 30 new friends. Or like, oh my gosh, I have to fill up my entire social calendar with conversations with people because that's what the church is expecting me to do. No. All we're asking for you to do is embrace your responsibility as an ambassador of Christ and invest in others. That's it. So where do you see God at work in your life? That's a great question to approach a conversation with somebody that you know and love. Maybe that's a conversation for the dinner table. You know, um, we've invited Marley, my, my four-year-old daughter, to pray before dinner, and she's gradually accepted the invitation more and more, which is really adorable. <laughs> Let me just tell you. But it's one of my proudest moments as a parent that to hear her just honest and vulnerable prayer is amazing. But she didn't just do that. That's the result of her observing how my wife and I live out our lives, how we experience Christ and bring attention to him, and how we share about our faith and what Christ means to us. So first, Christ is to be observed. In 1 Peter 2, it says, You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, which sounds a lot like ambassadors to me, 
to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So as God's possession, we are called to show others God's goodness by how we live. And these outward expressions of the inward change in our heart are byproducts of our faith. So what does that look like? Patience. Maybe patience is needed a little bit more when we're waiting in that Starbucks line for that order to come through, right? On our way to work. Love, being slow to anger, kindness and generosity, self-control. Ultimately, as we mature in our faith, more of Christ should shine through and less of ourselves. So I need for you to be thinking about how is Christ observable in your daily life and interactions? And I would challenge you to think about writing this statement or this question down on a post-it note. Maybe you put it on your computer or your dashboard of your car, as long as you keep your eyes on the wheel or on the, on the road, or put it on um, your nightstand or your computer at, at work, whatever it is. And just reflect on it. How is Christ observable in my daily life and interactions? Next is that Christ is to be experienced. James 2 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day, stay warm, eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What, does, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So we're to shepherd the people around us. Our faith is to be put into action. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So our good deeds, our sacrificial love and generosity, our care for the sick or people that are just hurting, freely offering forgiveness and grace to others, our gentleness, all of those are byproducts of our faith where people can experience Christ on a daily basis. And then finally, Christ is to be shared. And I think this is often the hardest one for people because it requires the most explicit outward expression of where we're at with our spiritual um, faith. And it also requires the most vulnerability from us. So some common reasons that I often hear um, in terms of why we don't act on this responsibility Um, Maybe we're concerned that we're going to offend people or that we're going to be shunned or push people away. Somehow that it's going to change our relationship. Um, I don't know what to say. It just doesn't jive with my personality. I'm not good at speaking or praying or it's just not something that I feel generally very comfortable with. And I I hear those. And I'm not trying to discredit those. I'd be lying if I said that I couldn't at some point or another identify with each of those that I just listed. But I have some concerns with those reasons. Number one is that it sounds at times where we're worried more about the immediate consequences and assume the worst 
rather than thinking about the eternal consequences that come with those decisions. Number two is that it sounds like we're taking all this on by ourselves and not inviting God into that process. And then the third is that it sounds like we're valuing the words that we say more than the heart that they're said with. And I understand that those feelings, um, and I, like I said, I can relate to them. But if we allow our concerns and worries to become barriers, we're limiting what God can and wants to accomplish through us. So ultimately, if we expect others to be vulnerable, to open their hearts, to be willing to participate in these conversations, then we also need to demonstrate vulnerability. And so if this is something that you feel uncomfortable with, that's why I recommend you start with people that know you. People that you have a trusting relationship with, who know your motivation for sharing your faith is genuine. Because it's not a sales pitch. It's about genuine care and concern. You know, I think one of the major hurdles on the flip side for unsaved people is that heaven seems way too far down the road, especially for them to require a significant change in their daily life. You know, we're a here and now society. I can whip out my phone right now and I can order something to be delivered to my house in four hours or I can go pick it up in two. So it's not that heaven isn't compelling, but for many the appeal is how their life can be different today. How can my life be different today? And what does that look like? For someone with no church experience, it sounds a little bit like a fabrication or an exaggeration. Okay, sure. They really need real, tangible examples. That's where we come in. We have the real, tangible examples. We have the Christ experiences. You know, the early church took off like wildfire because people were walking up to others and saying, I met Christ, he died, I saw him rise again, and I spoke with him. That is powerful. Now, our experiences might be different, but we can't discount our experiences with Christ in our life. And those are the experiences and the examples that others need to hear. We need to be ready to share them. Think about it. When was the last time that you shared a book or a TV show recommendation? Or maybe you went out for a nice meal and had to share the pictures and talk about the experience. I don't want you to feel guilty about those interactions. Those are good friendship, fellowship interactions. But can we also agree that God probably deserves just as much airtime, if not more, than those experiences? So when you lean into these opportunities with others, my recommendation is that you let them guide how big the bites are. No force feeding. (laughs) Be patient. It's a journey, right? None of us are here because of that flash. We are the product of others investing over time in us. So be patient. Invite people into the discussion. So you could say something like, can I ask about where you're at spiritually? Listen more than you speak. Ask questions without judgment, so that means you've got to watch your facial expressions too. And then wait for the follow-up questions. I believe that God specifically places each of us so that we can minister and care for others. 
As principal, I had a lot of hardship that came through my office, whether it was students or staff or parents. And I was so thankful for the opportunity to pray with and for people that brought those hardships to me. I've prayed for students with them in my office. I've prayed for staff over the phone after they've lost a loved one. I've prayed for parents that don't know where to go or where to turn that have hit rock bottom. Each time was an invitation, and I was never turned down. So I guess the, the thought then is, how many more people come out of the woodwork when we take that first step and extend the hand? Next is that we need to meet people where they're at. Romans 14 says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. So if we're to have that level of patience with a fellow believer, how much more patience should we be demonstrating towards an unsaved person? You know, when, when others are starting to um, learn about the faith, they're going to need encouragement and guidance from us. And there's a place for feedback too. But in my experience, in most instances, feedback should shape rather than cut down. So, again, reflecting on how is the difference Christ has made in your life on display for others to see? Not just your routines, how are you different? And this is something that we really have to come to terms with because what we're going to see is there are consequences for our obedience and our faithfulness or the lack thereof. And to be, to be clear, what we're talking about with consequences is resulting actions or responses, right? That I think our initial responses to think of consequences is only being negative or punitive. Consequences, the true definition, is really a resulting action or response. So this portion of the sermon is not intended to be the Debbie Downer portion, right? Because there are rewards for those that are faithful. But I think it's Brene Brown that says it's, it's kind to be clear, right? So for us to have a, a really good understanding of what are the consequences of our faithfulness and obedience. First Peter 3 says, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of the threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. So one, our life is not our own, it belongs to God. Two, sometimes doing what is right in God's eyes is harder than doing what is right in the world's eyes. And three, as a result of our faithfulness, there are immediate and eternal consequences for us as believers. Matthew 5 says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, to be totally honest and transparent, doing God's work sometimes results in some suffering. But God rewards the faithful. 
And then vice versa, choosing not to do God's work might have more positive immediate consequences, but also does come with eternal consequences. Now, what being the least in the kingdom of heaven actually looks like, I don't know, but I don't really want to find out either. So in closing, what it comes down to is this. Whether we want to be or not, we become ambassadors for Christ when we are saved. And it's our duty, our responsibility, to have an active and outward demonstration of our faith. Whether we want to be or not, we are role models and examples for others on what it means to be Christian and the difference that Christ can make in their life. This is a responsibility of all believers, not just the apostles, not just the pastors. It's not one church's interpretation of scripture versus another. So if you're a reluctant ambassador, if you feel ill-equipped, if you're worried about how others may respond, it's okay. We all experience feelings of doubt and we all fall short at one time or another. But God doesn't need you to be everything to everyone. He just needs you right where you're at. It doesn't matter whether you're the person to plant the seed or to water it or to prune it. What matters is your response and your obedience. I mean, think about this. How would our households and our communities, our schools, our workplaces be different if all believers fully embraced this responsibility and were obedient in it? It would be transformational. But here's the catch. It starts with you, and it starts with me, and it starts with this church. Thank you.